Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and we are very excited because we're jumping into a new series. You know, the Easter season is a bit behind us. We had a great time celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus over the past several weeks, but now we are going to jump into the study of a book actually written by the half-brother of Jesus, and that was the Apostle James. And the title of this series is Faith That Works, the book of James. Well, the book of James answers the question, how do I practically live out my faith? We wonder that all the time. How do I actually live out the things that I'm learning, the things I believe? It's it's very difficult. Well, this sermon series will help us put our faith to work as we navigate the various challenges and opportunities that life throws at us. So we're excited to jump into this because we really believe that it's going to be helpful to us as a church, helpful to you as parents and as business people and whatever it is in life that you do. The book of James feeds into us how we really should express and live our faith in Jesus. Uh, So this sermon is taken from April 11th, is titled The Purpose of Our Pain. So this is part one of this study on the book of James. So most of us do not enjoy trials. We're typically okay with some discomfort, but nobody, and really nobody wants to experience severe discomfort. In James 1, 1 to 12, James tells us to have joy in trials of many kinds. And the question is, why in the world would James say this? Perhaps there's a purpose to our pain or something like that. Well, today, Pastor Dave is going to explore how do we handle this comfort? How do we handle our pain? Don't forget, you can always visit us at beartownroad.org for additional resources. You can watch the full sermon uh, in addition to our full service. If you choose to with our worship, you can also download any type of group questions that we might have available in addition to our new newly developed family devotional packets that we're putting out there for families. So without further ado, let's jump into this sermon from April 11th titled, The Purpose of Our Pain. All right, you guys feeling good? Everybody dry after walking through the rain? We are starting a brand new series today. I'm pretty excited about this one. This is called James, the book of James. Faith That Works. So we're going to spend the next several weeks walking through the book of James verse by verse. And um, I heard a quote recently. I don't know who said it. I don't know where it came from. But they said, hey, I don't care if it's true. I just want to know if it works. In other words, that's great if you believe Christianity is true, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did rise from the dead, but does it work? Does it actually make a difference for me, and does it make a difference in society? Um, and, and I just, I love the fact that we have a faith that has endured for 2,000 years, that we have a faith that not only is true, that Jesus is who he said he is, that he rose from the dead as we celebrated last week, um, but that if you follow the words of Jesus and if you follow the words of James, that you will be better at life. Um, as we'll talk about today, life won't necessarily be easier, but it will be better. Um, And so this is a faith that works. This is a faith that's practical for everyday life. And I'm excited to go through this series for the next several weeks with you. Now, today we're going to talk about a topic that most of us would say, unfortunately, 
um, is a topic that we can all relate to. If you haven't experienced this topic, you will, so you should take notes so you can pull it out in the future. Today, we're going to talk about the very first topic that James deals with, which is trials or suffering or difficult circumstances. Anybody ever have a difficult circumstance or two in their life? Just, just raise your hand nice and high so we can all see it. Those of you who don't raise your hands, uh, it, it, that's amazing. So you, sh- you should maybe be uh, preaching this sermon. Anyway, um, isn't it true? Isn't it true that we, um, we avoid things we don't like? Just in general, that's kind of human nature. Uh, We all walked in here today. We either walked a little faster than you normally did because you don't like to experience rain. We had some wonderful ushers like Mike Reed who came out and put the the umbrella over you so you didn't have to experience the unpleasantness of the drizzle upon your brow, right? We avoid um, things that we don't like. I, I try to avoid mayonnaise as much as possible, you, Lucas, uh, I, I went to Subway to get us a sandwich one day. He texted me what he wanted. And I, at the bottom of the list, I said, oh, no, he's a mayonnaise guy. And I saw the, the Subway person put the mayonnaise on a sandwich. And I thought, you have ruined a perfectly good sub with your mayonnaise. Now, I do like mayonnaise and potato salad. But when I see it just like drizzle, it just kind of grosses me out. I, I, I really like ketchup. But recently, I saw someone with a, a plate of eggs and then they took ketchup and put a big glob of ketchup on the plate. And I was like, like I, it, it made me gag. I just, I avoid ketchup when it's not on a hot dog or on a hamburger. And I avoid mayonnaise when it's not on potato salad. So it's just true that we mostly avoid things we don't like. Someone said this morning, I avoid slow drivers, right? I think you just said, I, I avoid fast drivers. Um, we just, we avoid most of the time we avoid difficult circumstances. But the question I want to deal with today is, what do you do when trials find you? What do you do when there's just nothing you can do? That all of the sudden you find yourself in a difficult circumstance. You didn't plan it. Like, it's okay if I can plan the trial and if I can control the trial. Like, if I can walk in the gym and do some workouts and I know I'm going to break down my muscles, I'm okay with that if I can plan it. But But if somebody else plans it for me, I don't really like it that much. This is a little bit dangerous to say this in this room, but those of you who are females and you've had a child, you you planned that, right? Or or in most cases, you planned it and you knew it was going to be incredibly painful, but you were like, I like the results, or at least you thought you would like the results that came from that child. For those of you with little ones, you're like, maybe we should have. Anyway, so we, we like it when we can plan it, but when, we get, when trials kind of come to us and there's nothing we can do about it, whew, that's when it gets really, really tough. So James deals with this whole topic of what do you do? What do you do when trials come after you? What do you do when you face trials of many kinds? So here's what James has to say at the very top of his letter. This is the very first thing that he deals with. Um, He says this, James, a servant of God, or the the word is doulos, which could be translated slave or even bond servant. I'm a servant of God. He is my Lord, which could be translated master, which is amazing because James is the brother of Jesus. As Ann Weimer, our children's director, said in staff meeting, man, it would be so hard to be Jesus's brother. Wouldn't that like (laughs) your mother's always like, can't you just be like Jesus? Can't you just act like your brother all the time? He's perfect. 
right? Um, interestingly, James didn't believe in Jesus at the beginning. He, he thought he was just kind of far out there. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And, and I, I think one of the first persons that Jesus went to was his brother. And then James became a follower of Jesus. And we know that he actually became the leader of the first church in Jerusalem. So Peter and Paul were all under the authority of James. So James writes to the, the churches throughout the Mediterranean world in the city of Jerusalem, because he doesn't leave Jerusalem, right? He says to the 12 tribes scattered among the Gentiles, consider it. Right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, dot, dot, dot. Now, what do you consider pure joy? What's pure joy to you? Like a, a sunny day, like you get the kids to bed at night and it's quiet and all the kids got A pluses on their report card and work's going great and you just had a good meal and your health is perfect right? A nice sunrise, a nice sunset, a nice vacation. Can't wait till we don't have to wear masks anymore. That'll be pure joy, right? What do you consider pure joy? Here's what James says pure joy is. He says this, consider a pure joy whenever, not if ever, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, interestingly, this word face, the Greek word it's only used three times in the New Testament. It's used here. It's also used in the parable of the Good Samaritan when Jesus says that the man fell into the hands of robbers. In other words, this man became a victim. He did not seek a trial. It just happened to him. He fell into it. The third place that this Greek word is used is in the book of Acts when Paul is in a shipwreck and they hit a reef and it ruins the hull of the ship, and they have to go to shore very quickly. So it's used three times. Every time that it's used, it's like this passive, you face it. There's nothing you can do. You didn't sin. You didn't earn it. You don't sort of deserve it. You just face it. You fall into it. It's not because you've sinned. There's this example, John chapter 9, where the disciples are hanging out with Jesus, and they come up to this blind man on the road, and they say, hey, Jesus, did this blind man, did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, no, he didn't sin. It's so that the work of God could be uh, made magnificent in his life so that the glory of God can be on display. This is what James is talking about. He's not talking about the fact that we well, ate too much ice cream yesterday and now you're sick. You can't say, oh God, why did you allow suffering in my, in my life? Right? If you're having financial difficulties because you gambled all your money away, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that you have fallen into a trial and now you just don't know what to do. Right? He says, here's what you do. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops fill in the blank. Now, what do you, what do you think the testing of your faith develops? Now, we've all had a test before, right? If you're here, maybe you're a senior in high school and you're taking tests to try to, you know, enter a college or to try to get a certain program or you're in middle school, maybe you're, you've taken tests or you've taken a driver's test. I'll, I'll never forget my driver's test way back in the day when I took it in a, and I learned how to drive in, in a Pontiac Parisienne. Oh yeah, you young people, you don't know about this car. I, we originally had uh, a station wagon with wood panels on it, and then we upgraded. 
to a Parisian because we had a, a, another child. My younger brother, Eddie, came into the world. So now we needed another, another, a third seat. And this, nobody wanted to sit in a third seat because you had to look backwards and you, you always got car sick. So this was the unfortunate person who had to take Dramamine to sit in the back seat. This is, this is the car that I learned how to drive on. And you don't take a driver's test in a big boat like this. I learned very quickly. I took my driver's test and I had to like do these parallel parking with these poles and I kept hitting the poles. I'm like rolling through stop signs. I mean, the guy was just, you know, at the end of the test, he didn't say, he just said, you need to do this again. You are clearly not ready to hit the road, right? I I was not, the test had revealed that I was ill-equipped to drive a vehicle. And then I had to go out and get this little Ford Tempo, which was so beat up, the ceiling of the Ford Tempo, like the cloth would just like lay on my head as I drove and the fuzz would get up all in my head and I would drive to school and have fuzz all over my head and then that thing died and then I had to go back to the school bus. Anyway, I took this thing uh, in my test and it revealed that I was unable to drive. So if we look at this verse again, the testing of your faith, it kind of shows what you're made of. It shows if you've studied, it shows if you're ready for the next level. But another thing that a test does is it develops something in us. Now, there are essentially two choices when you go through a trial. You could become bitter or you could become better. Any trial, any circumstance that you face it could make your heart bitter or it can make your heart better. We've met people and we've maybe even been there ourselves where we feel like I've faced a trial in my life, right? And it's actually made me bitter for a while. Or you know people who have gone through difficult times in their life and, and they're just kind of bitter people. You could become bitter or, or you could be someone who develops perseverance. Perseverance or endurance. And then he says this, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now we've all asked this question, God, when are you going to take this away? When are you going to heal me? When are my kids going to start to behave? When is my kid who's out of the house and off the, on the wrong track, when are they going to come back? When am I going to experience a career breakthrough? Singles, when am I going to meet somebody? And we ask the question, God, when, 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 when is this going to get better? And I know this is a multifaceted and a complicated subject, but in part, perhaps the word for you today is that it will get better or God will remove it from you when it has finished its work. Right? God's working on you. He's creating steel in your soul. And he'll remove it from you when it's finished its work, when it has matured you properly, when it has completed you. Your trial will be complete when you're complete, right? We've all seen this on our computer screen, you know, and it's just like, it just gets us, even just looking at this, some of you getting a little nervous right now. You look at that little bar and it's like, oh, 14% and it's just going too slow. You're like, ah, and then you get up and you make a sandwich and then you come back and it's only at 15%. And then you're like, ah, and then you go out and you eat a meal or you go do something, you come back and it's at like 17%. And you're just like, oh, this is driving me nuts. I'm losing my patience. And then sometimes we hit the eject button or we just close it. We're like, I'm done. And here's the problem. When you hit the eject button too early, you may miss out on the download that God wants to give you. When we hit the eject button too quickly, 
we may miss out on the perseverance that God wants to instill in us. It hasn't finished its work yet in some cases. It's got to finish its work. Because God's goal for you isn't necessarily that you'd be happy. God's goal for you and God's goal for me is that we would be mature. Right? That we would, as we say at Beartown Road, that we would take another step towards Jesus. And sometimes the best way, in some cases, the only way for us to become more mature is to experience trials. You know, one of the things that, that really kind of gets us off track is when we start comparing ourselves to other people. Because right? I, I compare your highlight reel to my everyday life, and when I do that, that sends me in a f- free fall. Right? I, I look at your social media, I look at you out in public, and you just seem to have all the perfect kids. Right? Your kids never misbehave, and your kids get all good grades, and all your kids love Jesus, and everything's just perfect. Right? I, I compare your highlight reel to my everyday life, and whenever I fall into this trap of comparison, it puts me in a man-made, self-made prison. Um, last week, if you were here during Easter, we talked about this narrative where Jesus meets with Peter on the beach. And, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And then he says again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. He asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I love you. And he says, take care of my sheep. And then he says this incredible statement to Peter. It's a statement that speaks of his future suffering. Here's word for word what Jesus says to Peter on the beach that day after Jesus' resurrection. He says, Peter, essentially, you're going to be the leader of the early church, but it's not going to end well for you. Here's what Jesus says. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus is speaking of what church history tells us that Peter was crucified as a result of following him. Didn't end well for him. Now, if you got that message from Jesus, you might be like, uh, you know, I kind of liked it better when we were fishing and when we were doing miracles and we were kind of walking around town like rock stars. Does it really need to end this way, Jesus? And then what Peter starts to do is compare himself to the guy who's walking behind him. Because apparently when Jesus is walking down the beach, John, the apostle, is just a little bit, a few feet behind him. And Peter says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, you don't worry about him. I got a calling for you. So stop comparing yourself to everybody else. You have one job. You, Peter, need to follow me. You need to follow me. And Peter, of course, goes and leads the early church. James goes on and he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which is interesting in a section on suffering because typically when I'm hurting or you're hurting, we're not sort of saying, God, give me wisdom, but we're saying, God, give me relief. I just want to exit out of this. But he says, no, what you need is you need godly wisdom. You need perspective in the midst of your pain. You need to find purpose in the midst of your pain. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. And by the way, God is good. He's going to give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. He's a good God. He's a generous God. 
And he wants to give you wisdom so you can begin to make some sense, not that you'll ever completely figure out all of the ins and outs of why is God allowing you to suffer, but you'll, you'll be able to gain a godly perspective. You'll be able to see things a little bit more clearly. I know oftentimes when I'm going through a hard time, I said to God, God, I just need wisdom in the midst of this. I need to know what to do. You know, when it, when it comes to disciplining my kids or do I have my kid in this activity or, or this activity or um, some of the relational issues that I find myself in sometimes, I don't oftentimes know what to do. I just need wisdom. And James says, ask God. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give it to you generously. Wisdom typically comes from prayer, comes from the scriptures, and oftentimes it comes from people who have gone through suffering. Because isn't it true that the people that you typically ask for wisdom are those who have gone through the same kind of suffering you've gone through? Suffering produces perseverance, and it produces wisdom that you can then share with other people. James says this, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Believe that God is good. Believe that God is wise. Believe that God has your best interest at heart. Don't doubt that he's a good God. Believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. We don't want to be people who are just blown and tossed by the wind, who, who just can't be counted upon, who are unstable. You know, James goes on, he says, that man, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This man or this woman can't be counted upon. They're just like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and they walk into the office, and you're like, are they in a good mood or are they in a bad mood? Right? They're unstable. Don't be like that. Don't be someone who's just kind of up and down all the time. This certainly doesn't mean that we can't have bad days. It doesn't mean that we don't need somebody in our life who we can vent on when we're going through difficult times. This word double-minded, interesting, and I looked it up, it's the Greek word, uh, dipsychos. Dipsychos. Um, th this word die, you know, is the word two or double, and then psychos is the word mind, psychology, mind. Dipsychos, it, it, it literally means two minds, to be double-minded, to be like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde who's just like this one day and like that the other day. James says, don't be like that. Ask that God would give you wisdom and perspective in the midst of your trial. Don't be unstable. Now, the next verse in this section that James writes, um, when, I, when I first read this, I thought to myself, this is a, a different topic. I think James actually switches topics here. And in this James series that we're going to look at is actually, it's going to go 17 weeks. We're going to finish this series on August 8th, which I was a little bit nervous about. But as I began to read the passage and break up the different sermons, it, I realized that in my opinion, we've got about 17 topics that he switches to. And he's constantly switching from one topic to the next. In my opinion, it's probably because James had a scroll. He had so much paper that he could use. And he's like, I just got to give him like the basics of what it looks like to live out this faith. 
And as I read this verse, I was like, does he switch topics or is this kind of in keeping with this whole theme of suffering? And I think it is the same theme. So uh, it's the whole theme of, of money. And you might think, well, seems like a different subject. Why are we going from suffering to money? And I think the reason that James talks about money is because there are people in James's day who think if I just had more money, it would take away all of my trials. It would, it would be sort of the antidote to all of my trials. And James says, no, 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 no. Here's how James describes it. He says, the brother in humble circumstances, again, speaking specifically of material needs, the brother who doesn't have a whole lot. And again, James is in Jerusalem where church history tells us that there's a food shortage. There's a famine going on either while he's writing this or right after he writes this. The apostle Paul loves Jerusalem so much that he travels throughout the Mediterranean world and, uh, world and, and takes up offerings. He would tell people God loves a cheerful giver. He would tell people, look, the Macedonians, even though they were poor, uh, rich generosity welled up within them and they gave. And so Paul would collect all this money and he'd bring them back to the church at Jerusalem in the midst of their suffering. So James has seen a lot of suffering. He's seen persecution break out at the church and he's seen a whole lot of suffering because people are having a difficult time putting food on the table. So he says this, that the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position to which James's audience might be thinking, this position doesn't feel very high. It feels kind of low. James goes on, he says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. We talked about this several weeks ago that our days are short. Moses said, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that our days go by like that. So stop spending your time comparing yourselves to people who have more, James says, Stop trying to accumulate wealth. Stop wishing that you had more. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. You can kind of hear James speaking to the church. Look, I know you're suffering. I know we're struggling. But money doesn't buy happiness. Money's not going to take care of all of your problems. So stop comparing yourself to all of the rich people. Now, when I was a kid, grew up in Pittsburgh, PA, and my hero was a guy named Barry Bonds. Just quick raise your hand. You guys know who Barry Bonds is? 1991, he was the best baseball player in the game. Many would regard it, I am one of them, that he is the greatest hitter of all time. And when I was a kid, I batted like him. I walked like him. I tried to talk like him. I mean, I loved Barry Bonds. He was my hero. Well, in 1991, this is 30 years ago, Barry Bonds asked the Pittsburgh Pirates for $3.2 million, and they offered him a measly $2.3 million. Now, <laughs> when you see this, right, we are quick to judge Barry Bonds, right? And we're quick to say, oh my goodness, if I had $2.3 million, all my trials would go away. 
I could buy my way out of all of the suffering. I could have a vehicle that doesn't have any rust. It always gets me to point A to point B. I'd be able to give my kids the finest education. I'd be able to hire maids for my house to just make all my dust disappear, right? Life would just be easy if all I had was a little bit more. Well, you know what Barry Bonds said when the pirates offered him $2.3 million? He said, there's nothing Barry Bonds can do to please Pittsburgh. I'm so sad all the time. I'm so sad all the time. Money, it doesn't buy happiness. And again, it's easy to judge Barry Bonds. But if the people in James's day saw how much we had, they would say, trials? Difficult, how do you have any difficult circumstances with all of the stuff and all of the comforts you have? Because here's the deal, wealth is relative. Comfort is relative. So James looks at that, that poor church in Jerusalem and he says, look, stop comparing yourselves. Money doesn't buy happiness. This world is going to fade away like that. So let me tell you, let me tell you what it means to truly be happy. James says, let me tell you what it means to be blessed is the man. See, some of you, you thought happiness came from material possessions, or you thought happiness came from the perfect job, or you, you thought happiness came from having the perfect vehicle or the perfect amount of influence or some friends who you could invite over or they would invite you. James says, I'll tell you what blessing is. I'll tell you what true happiness is. Here it is. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because trials are coming. It's not if, it's when. You will fall into the hands of trials. They are coming your way. And blessed is the man, and blessed is the woman, and blessed is the teenager who perseveres in the midst of your trial. Because, James says, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. Corey Ten Boom, who wrote a book called The Hiding Place, I picked it up the other day, I'm halfway through it. Extraordinary lady who uh, ended up hiding Jews during the Holocaust and then got caught, thrown into a concentration camp during the Jewish Holocaust. This is an extraordinary quote that I came across. She wrote this, every experience God gives us is the perfect preparation for the future only he could see. You don't know your future. You don't know the future of your kids. And in the midst of asking, why God, why God, why God, God's like, just trust me because I can see the future and I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you for what's to come. I'm preparing you for a future that only I can see. So trust me in the midst of your trial. Trust that there is purpose in your pain. Trust, trust that I'm forming you and shaping you so when the storms come and the waves come that you don't have to be the man or the woman or the teenager that gets pushed back and forth. That you'll be stable. That at the end of the day, you can say, Heavenly Father, help me to become bitter. 
better rather than bitter. Because in the midst of our trials, isn't it tempting to become bitter? It's tempting to become mad. It's tempting to become jealous. And God says, keep your eyes on me. I'm the author and the perfecter of your faith. And I'm doing a work of maturation in you. I'm doing a work of completion in you. And none of us are there yet. And we will never quite be there this side of eternity. But we want to get one step closer. So consider a joy. Pure joy. (laughs) When you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must, it must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This past week, our worship pastor Lucas sat down with Amy Ryle, who has endured many a trial. He sat down with her to hear a little bit about her story of suffering. She is in the middle of it, and she has some some great wisdom to share with us in the midst of our trial. So let's go ahead and watch this video together. Life was going along fairly normally in March of 2018 when I received the phone call that we all hope to never receive. It was the one that said I had cancer. I was diagnosed with a stage three rare and aggressive type of breast cancer called inflammatory breast cancer that makes up less than 5% of all breast cancer diagnoses. I began initial treatments and went through several surgeries. Following that treatment, I began a year of targeted therapy treatments to keep the cancer at bay. Unfortunately, it was only within a few months of finishing the initial treatment that the cancer came back. Due to the metastasis, I became a stage four cancer patient and we switched treatments again. I was told by my my oncologist that my cancer had reached a stage they called incurable and that I'd be on treatment for life. Within the last three years, I've been on five different chemotherapy regimens. With each recurrence or metastasis, we switch treatments. I'm praising God now that my scans have been stable since last fall, but I continue with treatments to this day. A diagnosis like that is not exactly welcome news. It was devastating, paralyzing, and challenging to accept, as anyone who's experiencing some, experienced something like this knows. The most challenging aspect of this diagnosis for me has been learning to completely surrender and trust in the sovereignty of God. I always claimed to do that, but not until I was staring at a crisis head-on did I fully realize how much I'd actually held back. I needed to learn to completely trust and literally, truly, fully surrender every single aspect of my life to Christ. I couldn't let every piece of bad news, troublesome scan, or difficult timeline from a doctor throw me. I needed to remember that my God determines the number of my days, not the doctors, not the chemo, and definitely not the cancer. I will not live one day less than what God has ordained me to live. I continue to remind myself daily that God is worthy of my trust and His hand is sovereign. James shares about finding joy in our sufferings. He does not mention happiness because that's not enough to sustain us. Happiness is rooted in our circumstances, but joy, it's rooted in eternity. He doesn't encourage us to have joy if trials come, but when, because we will all have them. While I honestly can't say I find joy in feeling ill or enduring difficult side effects of harsh treatments, I can say I found joy in the way God meets me every single day of what I'm walking through. Suffering is not a mistake. 
It isn't the absence of God's goodness, but I found it to be the amazing sense of His presence in the midst of it. I've also learned that joy is a choice, and it's meant to be ours. God has convicted me that it is possible to have joy in our sufferings, a joy that is defiant in the face of the broken and the difficult stuff of life. It's the unyielding belief that sorrow and loss do not get the final say. It's the stubborn determination to be present to whatever may come, whether it be goodness or grief. Joy is possible in our sufferings. James mentions that trials develop perseverance, which must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete. God wants us to be mature and complete, but that doesn't mean it will come without pain. In fact, our maturity and completeness in Him will most likely come as a result of pain or something difficult. Instead of seeing hard things in my life as a cause for questioning God, I've had to change the lens in which I view them. I realize that every single thing God allows in my life has purpose and great meaning. I need to see them as an opportunity to serve and trust God in a way I would not have been able to without a diagnosis of cancer. I don't ask, why me, God? Instead, I've learned to ask, what now, God? How can you use me through this? How can I bring others closer to you? Reframing the question and my perspective has helped me to view this trial in a different light. All of us have challenges in our life. Some we've walked through, some we're currently in the middle of walking through, and some we haven't even faced yet. And let me challenge you, whatever you're walking through today, our trustworthy God is holding you. And as long as you are breathing, there is hope. Hang on, don't focus on the pain. Be present in it and feel the sorrow in it, but do not get stuck there. Ask for God to show you the purpose in what you're walking through and then find meaning there, and then share it. Don't waste it. Don't deny or diminish it, but use it to pursue a life filled with expectant and unwavering hope. Keep persevering. Look for times where Jesus has come through for you in the past and focus on them. Remembering those times increases our hope. I love how she reframed that question from why me to what now. Is Amy here this morning? You want to come up here? I didn't ask for permission for you to come up, but it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> so you want to come up here real quick? Um, I think people like this uh, inspire us to persevere in the midst of difficult times. And I know that as I look out upon many of you, you've gone through some tough times recently. And um, I just want to pray for you, and I want to make... Why don't you come up here real quick, Aim? And I'm going to make Amy available to just come up here as well. If you want to talk with her, um, if you want to pray with her, because we need people like you who can inspire us in the midst of the storm. And you're in the middle of it, right? I mean, I, I pray that one day that we'll celebrate your healing. So let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for the suffering We would never ask for it. We would never pursue it, but sometimes we fall into it. And God, you use it to put steel in our soul. You use it to give us more patience. You use it to draw us nearer to you. And so we ask that you would heal Amy, that she would be restored, that you would take away her cancer. We ask for the person in this room that is struggling with their kids or struggling with health, 
struggling with career. We pray for the single person. We pray for the married couple who wants to end it. God, that you would give them the strength to find joy in the journey, purpose in their pain. And I thank you for Amy's story. I thank you for the the many men and women in this congregation who inspire us with the way they walk with you day in and day out in the midst of the storm. We pray this in Jesus' name. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would make us better and not bitter because it's easy to get bitter. Would you make us better and more mature and more complete? We pray this in the matchless name of the God of the universe who walked on water, who stilled the storm, who opened the eyes of the blind and who defeated death. We know that you are able. And in the meantime, would you give us the strength to follow you and to keep our eyes fixed on you? We pray this in the name of our suffering servant who went to the cross to forgive us and we thank you that you are for us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amy. She's up here if you want to talk to her. Otherwise, I appreciate you guys coming today, and we will see you next week for part two of the book of James, Faith That Works. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Well, that's it. I hope that you enjoyed this sermon as much as I did, learning how to wrestle through and wrestle with this idea of how do I live out my faith and what do I do with the pain and the discomfort that I feel in my life. I want to remind you one more time that you can go to beartownroad.org to print out discussion questions you might have with your family or with your friends, whatever have you, or if you're in a small group, these are the questions that you'll be discussing if you're following along with the sermon, in addition to the download of our our newly developed family devotional packets where you'll find coloring sheets and activities and crafts uh, that go along with what we're learning in children's ministry. And so until we are together again, I want to thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.